0: Good morning. I uh, hope you enjoyed the worship set. I did. Uh, as I've said multiple times the last few weeks, I'm just not doing well at saving my voice for the preaching time. A couple of those songs uh, just drew it out of me. Hope it did you as well. Uh, join me if you would. Matthew chapter 13. Uh, Matthew 13. I think this is our third message in this chapter. And as you're turning there, uh, let me say happy Thanksgiving week. I know a lot of us may be having to adjust our plans this year. Not sure if that's you or not. But I hope that you will not wait until Thursday to be thankful. Uh, Just let that be a way of life in your life. We have much to be thankful for as we have already sung about this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 13. um, Just before I read the text, men, let me just reiterate, I hope to see you tomorrow night at 6.30 here in the fellowship hall. Uh, ladies please go ahead and make plans like things don't just happen unless we plan to do them so i hope you will kind of etch out do what you need to do to be in here you'll not be in the fellowship hall on december 9th you guys will be in here that way you can socially distance all that you need to and that'll be at 6 30 on december 9th it's A very important t- uh, gathering uh, together there for the ladies again ages 10 and up of our church all right Matthew chapter 13, you guys already see the title of this message, Weeds Among uh, the wheat. So, What we're going to do, uh, this is our second parable uh, in the Matthew 13, and most of you have been with us for the start of this, so a very quick review, and I'm going to jump right into the text, okay? So Christ was teaching in a house, we don't know what city this was, probably Capernaum on the shores of, of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, he's teaching to his disciples, predominantly very, very crowded, as he leaves the house, he goes down to the sea, an enormous, a great crowd, probably in the thousands, uh, come around him, and so he gets into a boat, moves out into the water, and he's now teaching back to the crowds They're standing. He's seated in a boat. The text will tell us that he only taught to them in parables. So it's a whole different style than he was teaching in the house. We looked already at one of the parables and its meaning, the parable of the sower, last week. So today we're going into the second parable. Matthew apparently does not record all of the parables that Jesus taught. But he does give us seven or some people would say eight in this chapter. The one we're going to look at today, Matthew is the only one who has recorded this particular parable. And this is an important one. Uh, And so what we're going to do today, like we did last week, we're going to read the parable. We're going to skip a few verses because Jesus is going to give some other parables there. And then we're going to move on down to the the explanation that Jesus will give back in the house. So with that in mind, just before we read this text, we don't do this each week, I'm going to ask if you would invite the Lord to speak to you. Those of you at home watching uh the streaming or watching this later i want to invite you to join us right now in prayer just before we read the text and ask the lord to speak to you this morning would you join me in prayer father we come by christ and lord we thank you for your goodness you are very good you're always good you're good in all that you do and lord we thank you for giving us the word of god in print that tells us about the word of god in flesh your son uh, who came here for a, a very intentional purpose and lord we know that he most importantly came to die on a cross to pay for our sins we acknowledge that but he also came to teach us certain things about the kingdom and i pray that you would give all of us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth so lord i pray that you would bless the reading of your word the explaining of it lord i pray that 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 which is true would find good soil here among us and lord if something is awry and amiss and not exactly accurate then, Lord, let that not be said or fall on deaf ears. But, Lord, I pray that you ultimately will teach us. But, God, I pray that we would not just be informed, but, Lord, that weeds that are listening today would be transformed by the hearing of your word and the warning of it, and, Lord, coupled with other truth in your word, and, Lord, that you would use that to give them faith, that they would become wheat for you. Lord, we commit this text to that end. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Look at, if you would, verse number 24. Here we go. You ready to read the text? One of the most, Probably the most important part of our message every week is this reading time. He put another parable before them. Again, he's in a boat there on the land at the beach on the shore. He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared. Let me pause right there. The kingdom of heaven... Don't think in your mind kingdom of heaven as something that's far off in the future one day when we get to heaven. No, this is, Matthew records this this way, apparently we think, because he's being sensitive to the Jews who were very particular and fearful to abuse taking the name of the Lord in vain. So he's calling the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven. And what he's talking about is something that was enacted, this is important, it's already been enacted in the life of Christ. Remember, John the Baptist says the kingdom is at hand. Jesus says the kingdom is at hand. Back one chapter earlier, Jesus was being accused by his enemies. You're only casting out devils by the power of Satan himself. Jesus says that's not the case. He puts that down, and he follows it up and says, but if I cast out devils by the power of the Spirit, then that means the kingdom has come upon you. So he's literally already moving into like the kingdom has hit a new phase, the kingdom of God. And so he's going to explain this parable is about a particular dynamic that is in place from the time of Christ. We could even say from this point it was even in the 12. This dynamic is even in his 12 apostles. He's going to show us a dynamic that is in the kingdom of God moving forward. And the way he's going to explain that is, remember what a parable does, there's something that's unknown. And the way to know that, sometimes what you can do is put something that is known beside it and use it as a comparison. So they don't yet know this dynamic that's in the kingdom from the time of Christ, can I just tell you, all the way to the end of what we call time. It'll be all the way through until the end of time till we're no longer measuring time as we now know it from then 2,000 years ago till whenever this happens this dynamic will be in place and so that's what Christ and here's what he's going to say it's this, this truth this dynamic can be noticed by looking at this story that is common understandable especially in their culture here we go verse 24 again he put another parable before them saying The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man. Can I not harm the text by saying the kingdom of heaven is not just like the man. It's like what happens when the man does what he does. This is how the kingdom of heaven. It's like it's compared to this. Here we go. A man who sowed good seed in his field. You're like, oh, wait, here we go again. A man, he's sowing seed. A couple of differences. Remember the seed in the, in the sower, the seed never changed, and we know what the seed was. Raise your hand if you remember what the seed last week represented. Raise your hand if you remember, you got time to think now. Oh, the seed was the word of God, it was the preaching, it's the gospel. So that was the seed. The seed was the same, now you're going to see two kinds of seed this week, so there's a difference of seed. We begin with good seed, and the good seed represents You'll you'll see what it represents in a moment. And this other seed, you'll see what it represents in just a moment. So this field here is a little different than last week's field. Last week, this farmer, this sower was sowing the Word of God, and it found four different kinds of soil that represent four kinds of people's response to the gospel. People respond differently to the gospel. Three were negative, one were positive. Now... The seed is no longer the word of God being taught. He's changed parables, but using still some of the similar terminology. So here we go again. I'm really going to move forward this time, I think. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed, here's second type, weeds. His men are sleeping. The good seed's already been sown. Here comes the enemy and sows weeds among the wheat. There you see the title of the message. He sows weeds among the wheat and went away. So moving forward in time, when the plants, that's the good seed, when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Can I just interject right here? I don't think what's happening here is... This was planted, then nighttime, this was planted, the good seed came up and started bearing grain, and then the little shoots. I don't think that's what it's saying. I think it's saying that all of the seeds started coming up, but it's when the one type of seed that's all in the field mixed in, when it starts producing grain, the wheat grain, then the others that have been growing right along with it, it becomes clear that they're not the wheat Because they're not producing grain. Verse 26, one more time. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. In other words, it became very apparent that there were weeds. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in the field? Well, sure, yeah. How then does it have weeds? They're noticing this terrible problem. He said to them, an enemy has done this. He knows what's happened. So the servants, again, noticing what's going on, said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? Do you want us to just stop what we're doing? Do you want us to go out there and that's a weed? Pick that, pick this, start picking all of those and leave behind the wheat. Do you want us to leave the wheat and start picking the weeds? Verse 29, no. Why? No, don't do that. Lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them so here's his solution don't panic be patient let both grow together until the harvest so it'll all be settled there let both grow together until the harvest and at harvest time i will tell the reapers so notice there's a distinction between the reapers and the servants servants are ready to go out and start doing it Early, too early. They're still growing to do. He says, no, don't do it now. At the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather. Here's how it'll happen. Here's here's Jesus' parable. We're just talking about a farmer right now. He says, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, because now it's harvest time. Now go gather the reeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned. So gather all the weeds, put them in bundles for burning, but gather the wheat into my barn." The wheat into the barn, already you guys are starting to pick up, I think I know what that seed, rep- I think I know what that, and I think I know what the barn represents, and I'm unfortunately pretty sure I know what the burning of the bundle of weeds represents. So that was verse 30. We're going to skip 31 to 35. Again, that's a couple of other parables and a reference to Isaiah. Skip down, if you would, verse 36. Let's stay with this one parable today. Here we go. So again, he gives some other parables on the sh- shore, Then he left the crowds, so now there's a movement, and went into the house. So he's going back to the house. Well, there's not room for everybody in there, but notice, his disciples came to him saying, they've just heard a parable also about a mustard seed and a parable about leaven, but notice what they're asking. Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Could you explain that one? And we know that he explains the sower very thoroughly. Now they're saying the the, the wheat's. Could you explain that one? He answered, and you're getting ready to see, seven things, clear as a bell, right down the line, Interpretation. He doesn't answer everything that was said, but these seven are clear. He answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus himself. He's saying, I'm the one who's sowing the good seed. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. Read that again. Notice, the sower is is the son of man. The field is the world, the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. So now we're already getting, got this field, he's the sower, what he's sowing is the sons of the kingdom. Then he continues, the weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. He's sowing his, they're the sons of the devil, sons of the evil one. Two more things, he says, the harvest is the end of the age remember the harvest the gathering together that group that group that's the end of the age and he says the reapers are angels there's the interpretation here's the point of it all verse 40 just as the weeds now he's talking about a farmer again just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire that's what a farmer would do he gathers all the weed we're going to do with those just burn them that's what they're good for Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom. Notice they're in the kingdom. He says this is what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. Son of Man at the end is going to send his angels. They will gather gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery Furnace, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then, remember the barn, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. And Jesus says, He who has ears, let him hear. Do you have spiritual ears? Let him hear. Would you notice three things with me this morning if you're taking notes? Number one, Christ has an enemy. Who opposes him Christ has an enemy who opposes him all this talk of God and Satan and God and the devil the Lord makes it very clear guys that is real we've talked about it multiple times But he has an arch enemy, this person, the devil, so much. Guys, if you lived in that day, you know one of the worst things you could do to your enemy? I mean, you would have to despise this person because this would go into their livelihood if a farmer had just sowed his his field with good grain and he's looking for this wheat to grow or whatever the crop may be. One of the worst things you could do to, to him would be to go in and contaminate his field with weeds sown, particularly by you knowing that it was going to contaminate his field. That's one of the worst things you could do. What Jesus is saying is his enemy, his arch enemy, flat out names him, is the devil. He's the one who is doing this What the point of the parable. He's the one that is doing this intentionally to him. Now, you guys help me out. Most of you have heard this phraseology in another translation, multiple other translations, and you've heard it called what? Instead of weeds, you've heard it referred to as the what and the wheat, the tares. All right, so some of you have an ESV Bible, and down at the bottom of your page, you probably have a number one, and uh, you or a number one or a number two, I believe it is. Uh, yep, I've got to get back on that side. Uh, this is probably talking about darnel, right? Darnel is a wheat-like weed. What does it mean, wheat-like? So here it is. The sower sows good seed in his field. It is wheat. It is going to grow, but his archenemy comes and sows a wheat-like weed called darnel. Barclay writes the following, quote. So get this, this is important. He says the tares, that's this type of weed, the tares were a weed called bearded darnel. I looked it up on my phone this morning. I saw a picture, and you can see why they look alike. He says it's called bearded darnel. This is key. In their early stages, the tares so closely resembled the wheat that it was impossible to distinguish one from the other like literally here's this seed this seed this here's all the good seed and then here's all the weeds and as they're growing up literally just among each other early on even the farmer himself not talking about jesus he's god but even the farmer himself would not be able to tell hey that's darn old weed he wouldn't know all he would know is up the crop is coming up all right so this is happening. What does this represent? What does this represent? Jesus says this, this weed literally represents the children of the devil who are specifically planted, notice my wording here, by Satan among God's people. Specifically planted by Satan to contaminate God's field. Why would someone do this to an enemy? Because I want to keep your crop from reaching its maturity, from reaching its maximum productivity, and I want to contaminate your crop. What Christ is saying is in the field that he has planted his people, Satan comes along and plants his people to contaminate the field, to limit them, to limit their maximum productivity. Now, if you would direct your attention. I'm going back and forth because it covers two pages for me. Would you look at verse 38? Verse 38. I want you to notice something in verse 38 because it causes some problems for those that are the expert scholars who interpret this for us. Uh, This week, this was so difficult, frankly, that instead of my usual seven people that I'll read after, I, I referred to, I think, three other ones. Would you look at verse 38? Here's the explanation. So the field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. Again, The field is the world, the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. Which one of those would you see causes some interpretive challenge, and you could see it being controversial? I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. Raise your hand if you think, I think I see which one of the three, because there's a word that is not the word we expect it to be. Would you raise your hand if you see? Is there something there? I'd say just a couple people, right? Anybody there? Nobody? Is there a word that is not what, okay, if you're just hearing this, there's this man who sows good seed, and his enemy sows bad seed, it grows up, the servants want to go pull up all the weeds, he says, no, wait, let them grow together when it's time at the end of the harvest, I'll have my reapers come in, and they'll separate that from that. Jesus comes along and says, I'm the sower, the, 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 the field is the world, and the bad seed is the children of the devil, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, And then he says the harvest is at the end, and the enemy is the devil, and he says the reapers are the angels. Does anyone still? Ask one more time. Does anyone see one word that in verse 38 you thought, I, in my mind, assumed Jesus would use a different word there? Anybody see it? Raise your hand if you see it again. Nobody? All right. This one caused me trouble. (laughs) Y'all didn't see it. Okay. Field. Field. The field is, what's he call it? The world. What word did your mind think that the Lord would have said, he sows his good seed that is his people. We wouldn't think it's the world. We would think he's talking about the what? Church. Y'all did see it. You didn't want to raise your hand. But he doesn't say that. He says the field, we would think, In fact, we've always thought of it probably this way. Well, the field is the church, and then the weeds are the sons of the devil in the church. But that's not what he says. He says the field is the world. And so as I read, I would say it's probably about 60, 40. About 40% of the people that I read after really dig their heels in that it is not, he's not talking about the church and the others, a couple are like, kind of the middle and then several just went on talking about as if if it is the church and not even addressing the fact that he calls it the world so here's what i want to do and you say jeff i didn't even know it was going to be a big deal i may be making more of a deal i struggled with this this week can i offer to you what i believe is the interpretation and if this is not yours that is fine we can disagree i hope you wouldn't just stop listening because surely there will be some things that are said that you could see as good applications or interpretations even if we disagree on this one I'm going to propose the following. This is where a couple of people that I read after they took this position. Okay, say, Jeff, is it is the field the world? Yes, there's no doubt about that. But so does that mean the field is not the church then? I want to propose to you that if we really consider, and I would I would ask those four that took a hard line that it's the 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 world and not the church, I would ask them. When you set and flesh that out into its various levels, I'm going to contend that it doesn't ultimately matter. You're going to reach the same conclusions. It's going to be mostly the same. Why would I say that? Hang with me. Because the field is the world. It's all the places in the world where Satan intentionally plants his children in among where God has already planted his children. All around the world. And so I'm going to contend that obviously that means even in the church. Not only are unsaved people around saved people on the bus and in the classroom and out on the highway, there's unsaved people out on the highway. That's not news. Well, there's saved people out on the highway too, okay? Yes. Over in the plant, out in the field working, whatever it may be. Yes, we know that. The point, I think, is ultimately you're going to have to reach a point where you are talking about the church. So here's where I'm going to offer you what I think. This is my thought. Uh, I don't know that any of the ten took to the degree I'm going to give it, but I'm going to propose it to you. Rather than looking at this, you ready? I don't think these weeds are just random lost people. I don't think it's random, all the lost people. Rather, what I think this seems to be talking about are the religious yet counterfeit Christians planted by Satan among God's people in the visible church. Now, obviously, I've just said. They're among God's people in all the other places, but I think this is particularly these weeds. I believe that it's not just all the rest, all the children of of the, the devil all around the world. I think it's particularly the religious counterfeit Christians that are planted among God's people. I think that's the interpretation, and that will affect some of the comments I'll make. You say, Jeff, explain a little bit more so to be a little more clear. Let me offer this. When you see on the screen those last two words, visible church, I hope everybody, so everybody listen, I know you're writing, but please, this is important. We have the invisible church, which is all the truly saved people around the world. They're in this building right now. You say, Jeff, who is it? I can't tell who are the truly saved people literally in this room now, but they are. Us combined with all the other truly saved people around the world and for the last 2,000 years, we together make up the true church, the invisible church. That is different than the visible church. The visible church is what you see. That's people, that's organizations, church, local churches, Christian, again, Christian organizations. These are all the people that would say they are a Christian. So that's the visible church. And that's where I'm, I think, these are talking about people that Satan has planted within that, now to be even more clear. I don't think the weeds are necessarily the two billion people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't you say, Well aren't they unsaved? Yes. Aren't some of the same things gonna happen? Yes. But aren't they the, technically the children of the devil according to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, which were all born that way? Yes, they are, but I don't think this parable is about those 2 billion people. In fact, I'll go further. I don't think this parable is about the 2 to 3 billion people who are the combination of Muslims and Hindus and Buddhists and atheists and Shintoists and animists and all those. I don't think those are these weeds. You say, well, then who in the world are, are weeds? Then who in the world are these weeds? I'm going to propose to you the following. It is the majority of the supposed 2 billion professing Christians. Notice the wording again. I believe the weeds are the majority of the 2 billion supposed and professing Christians. You say, Jeff, that's kind of a... Pretty strict stance. Are you saying that you don't believe there's two billion Christians in the world? Oh, I will guarantee there are not two billion. There's two billion, apparently, that would say they are Christian if they were asked. And when they're polled and when they, all the estimates come in, they're supposed to be two billion. So, you, Jeff, are you saying that you think it is true Christians are less than that because you use the word majority? I, unfortunately, guys, I'm convinced the vast majority of the two billion are not the real thing. And that's the point of this parable that Christ is trying to give us. How did you reach that? So let me defend that just a couple of of minutes. That unbelieving children of the devil are in the world. Let that sink in. There's unbelieving children of the devil. And they're in the world. That's not new revelation. We don't need a parable for that. That's not hidden. That's already known. But That unbelieving children of the devil would be prevalent in the church posing as children of God. Now that would be new revelation as the church is just beginning. They're in the church and they're going to be posing. And I think that's the point of this whole thing is the Lord is saying expect this. Don't be surprised by this. It's coming. He doesn't even tell the 12. Literally it is in the 12. We know there is a fake and a phony among them why would I take this position I would challenge you you say Jeff I don't really see it I'm going to go with the just straight up the field is the world I don't think it even needs to be applied I don't see how an interpretation can at least when it comes time to apply the text how it cannot at least start applying it to the church because God's people all around the world are what makes up the church and so if the point is unsaved people are coming in and infiltrating where God's people are then They have to be in the church. Again, let me say it this way. Help me. What is the focus of this text? Is the focus of the text that wheat, wheat, God's people, are going out into the world? Is that the focus? Or is the focus of the text that there's God's people sown in this field and outside weeds, spiritual weeds, children of the devil, are coming into Which Which one is it? It's the weeds coming in among, literally the words, the weeds among the wheat. And that's why I I arrive at some of those conclusions. Also notice, which was sown first? The good seed in the parable is sown first, and then here comes the bad seed of the weeds. So here's how I interpret it. The church in Acts chapter 1 and 2 is literally, that's most of us would say, that's where the church literally became the church, not just in seed form and not just in thought, but literally that's where the Holy Spirit came in. 120 people that were in the upper room in Acts chapter 1, Acts chap- chapter 2, and then by the end of chapter 2, 3,000. By the end of the first day, 3,000 were added to them so that by the end of the first day, 3,120 pure, true Christians are in the church. And then I would offer to you, pretty much ever since then, weeds have been infiltrating the visible church they are not infiltrating the true church but they're infiltrating the visible because many have come in and ever since then the numbers have been skewed the other way notice verse 27 let's move forward very quickly look at verse 27 so they start to grow up and the servants realize what in the world's happening the servants of the master of the house came and said to him master did you not sow good seed in your field absolutely yes of course that's what happened how then does it have weeds how notice this question how how did this happen how did this happen did you notice already that the reapers and the servants are not the same and so jesus gives an interpretation the reapers are the angels but he never really says who the servants are so we're left to guess i would assume those are christians those are Christians who are reproducing and making other Christians. We could even say Christian leaders. So, how did this happen? I don't think the phrase, well, they, while, they, while his servants were sleeping, the enemy came in. I don't think it's a slam on Christian servants, Christian leadership, as you're asleep at the wheel and that's why the devil. No, I think the emphasis is more on how evil and wicked and subtle. Satan is, and it's, I don't think it's just a slam on Christian leadership. But here's the result. Here's the result of it. God's leaders, Christian leaders, often do not discern when spiritual weeds are stealthily being sown in among God's people. We're just not aware of it. You say, Jeff, how is that possible? Think with me. Hang on. Think with me. How is it possible that Christian leaders or Christians as a whole don't realize when unsaved people are coming imposing as saved people why don't they understand that i'm going to offer you two reasons number one some people are so good at talking and acting like a christian that literally for a while we can't tell they're a fake they are so good at talking and acting like a christian we can't tell they're a fake could i add to that another little subtle dynamic some c- true Christians are slower in their growth. They're going to grow because they're true Christians, but they're slow, and they're going to reproduce. They're going to produce fruit. It is going to happen, and it always does, but they're slow at it. Everybody grows at different rates. Some people grow quickly. Some are 30-fold, some 60, some 100, but sometimes these they're just slow out of the gate, and, and literally to, to the untrained eye, other Christians, these people over here who are fakes and phonies, but they know, talk, they've got the externals, they got in the look. They got the giant Bible, right? And they just look like a Christian. They've learned the terminology. They may for a while look miles ahead of these people. And so it throws us off. How did, they, how did they get in? And probably you're thinking, well, we need to do something about this. They don't need to be in among the... Now, they can come and visit to the services, but they don't need to be in among the, the people who are the true church. They don't need to be in among that. J.C. Rawls is absolutely right when he says the following. The purest preaching of the gospel will not present, prevent this. Say it again. The purest preaching. Of, so if we think, you know what we're going to do? We're going to preach the gospel so pure, so clear, so slowly, everybody's going to get saved. And then we'll have only saved people on our membership roll. Well, it won't work. He writes further. In every age of the church, the same state of things has existed. It was the experience of the early church fathers. It was the experience of the reformers. It is the experience of the best ministers at the present hour. Unfortunately, I agree with him. You know what I'm concluding? John Piper had weeds in his church. there at Bethlehem for years. David Platt has weeds in his church. John MacArthur has weeds in his church. You say, well, good thing we don't have any here. Ryle finishes by saying, there's never been a visible church or a religious assembly of which the members have all been wheat. I wouldn't go that far. Acts chapter 2, 1 and 2, 100% wheat. I think if you were to get together a little house church maybe, there's lots of those starting up and it's Four, five, six, eight. I couldn't put a number on it. But as all of those people, you could literally have a small house church and it be all saved people. And that's a really, okay, those are all wheat. But I dare say you let it start growing. Oh, they're coming. They will make their way in. So, number one this morning, he has an enemy. So, Jeff, we have a couple more notes. So, before I hit the second, I need to touch on something and hopefully this will explain why we do what we do. I totally believe in the point of this. Satan's going to intentionally try to infiltrate, get close to Christians all around the world in every phase. Certainly that would imply the church. Most of you, if you've come here very long, perhaps you've never thought of it. You'll realize it when I say it. Let me preface. I am for what I'm about to say. I am really for this. But perhaps you've noticed that we do not rush to add people to our church membership. We don't do it. In four years and three months, not one time have I got down, down here on a Sunday. All right, just before we pray, Chris, play us some nice emotional music. If any, We're, we're going to open the doors of the church. That's code for we're going to open the church to membership. If anybody would like to come and join the church. Some of you are like, I've been in churches that do that. And like once a month, a preacher will go down down front and invite people to come join the church. And they come on a good to see. Remind me your name again. Oh, yeah, we got got Steve here this morning. He and I had coffee just the other day. Anybody all in favor? Good. Praise. Good to have you. We don't do that. You say, Jeff, why? Because of this right here. Because of this right here. You say, well, let let me me get it straight. What do you do? Everybody is welcome to come i hope you do come you say i don't believe in god then come you say i believe in another religion come as long as you don't disrupt we invite everybody's welcome to come but when it comes to local church now i'm talking about local church membership roles those are reserved for true christians only only true christians now you say okay jeff sounds great good luck employing that here's the problem We cannot ensure that only true Christians make their way on our role. We cannot ensure that. But we can make it hard. And so that's what we hope to do. And I know right now, I could go point to some folks. And before the pandemic hit, we were scheduled to have a class. And some of you sitting here right now had signed up for a membership class. So here's what we do. We don't get down front and invite a second, third, fourth time uh, attender to join the church. What I usually do, and I could point to somebody in the room right now because I know when they first started coming, like last October, November, whatever, maybe it's December, they quickly started asking their friend about, hey, what does it take to join there, right? I'm talking about you, Kyle. <laughs> I want to join, okay. And I kept telling Nathan, just tell him cool as jets, just keep diverting him. Why? We knew at that time Kyle was not a Christian, and so we couldn't have that, right? Now we need to have a class. Hopefully Kyle and Ashley would, would do, take part in that. I Believe they would because now they're born again, and we have several others like that. But first thing is, just give it some time. You know what I usually say? Just keep coming, see if we're a fit for you. That's kind of the first thing. Just see if we're a fit for you. And you know what you'll get after four or five times of coming to Grace View the same thing. Same thing you got the first four or five times. Like y'all do this every. I thought that was kind of like an unusual. Night. Nope, this is what we major on every week. In my mind, again, I'm not, Satan will do this, but I'm thinking, what unsaved person would keep signing up for such things? Like, why would you say, like, I'm going to go there and take punishment every week. Uh, I don't know why you would do that. So first thing is, just see, are we really for you? And often you'll see, there's some excitement first time or two, and then after about three or four or five, where'd they go? Yeah, it's fine. We weren't for them, and that's okay. I, I literally believe in the last four years, if we, we have 171 people on our roll. Most of you are on that. Some are not. Here today that are in that 171. Some are watching online. A few are not here or watching online, and they have nothing to do with us, and we really need to clean up our role. But we need to talk about how that correlates with this parable today. So we're going to get real practical. The next thing that we do is, you like? I, I seriously do. I, I really. I, I, I think I fit there, and you guys fit me, and I, I think this is where the Lord wants. Okay. Well, then we're going to have you do a class. I think the class is going to go from not just two classes. It's now going to jump up to three because I just got a few more things that we need to talk about. You say, what about after that? You're going to write your testimony on a piece of paper, among other uh, pieces of information that you're going to turn in. You're going to write what makes you think you're going to heaven, because in our mind, our church, you can come, but our church membership is only for saved people, so we need to have a written form. Why do you think you're saved? If you don't have anything to write, then you're not going to get to join the church. You say, great, I wrote down a good thing, it's a good Bible answer, good to go, no, You say it's overkill. We're going to actually have you verbalize that with no notes to a deacon or an elder. Why do you think you're going to go to heaven? We're going to have a written version, a verbal version. You're going to go through a class. You say, man, you guys try to make it hard to join. Yeah, kind of. Kind of make it hard to join, but if you really want to. And we're for it. We want God's people to join. You say, why is this so important? Write it down. Because counterfeit Christians can influence true ones. Counterfeit Christians. The last thing we want to do which no doubt could have happened. We got up week after week again with some emotional music. We could have three, four, maybe 500 names on our roll. And we'd have the exact same number of people that are sitting here this morning. I don't want that. We don't need that. We don't need all of that. We don't need a list of names. So, uh-oh, there's going to be a big vote coming up. Well, guess what? All the unspiritual and the spiritually dead people show up. And they get to influence the direction of the church. No, we don't want that. Because counterfeit Christians can influence true and so Our local church roles are reserved only for saved people. Let me give you one last thing and we'll go to number two. This is important. Unfortunately, church membership at a local church can cause or create in some people a false assurance. I'm going to heaven because I'm a member down there at Graceview, I'm a member over at Concord, I'm a member at New Spring has nothing to do with whether or not you're going to heaven so we want to make sure that no one is depending on that because sometimes church membership creates false assurance number two this morning not only does christ have an enemy but christ calls for patience christ very much calls for patience would you look at verse 26 verse 26 so verse 26 so when the plants so the The sowing happened. The second sowing by the weeds happened. So when the plants, that's the wheat, came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Hang with me here. Though at the beginning the weeds and the wheat look a lot alike, if you'll give it time, eventually those that the Lord calls good will reveal that they are the good seed, the true sons of the kingdom and not sons of the devil, how will this be known? Eventually, they will bear fruit, so much so that it will become obvious and identifiable to those who have spiritual discernment. Like, have you just noticed this person? Man, they're like here all the time. They're just like gobbling up the word. They're like hungry. They're like showing all kind of spiritual fruit. Look down at verse 36. You have your Bible open. Remember the whole crowd, thousands, probably thousands of people heard the parable. But it's verse 36, when he left the crowds and went into the house, his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable. Do you see that? That is a differentiating line. The crowd, for some reason, I don't know why anybody in the crowd, what what you doing? He's heading back in, going out. What's the meaning of the parable of the weeds? Nobody does that. But when he goes into his house, true disciples like, I want to know more truth. I want to know more truth. What does this mean? And the Lord says, Okay, well, let me tell you, since you're asking, you'll get to know. Last week we were talking about fruit. If you were here, does anybody remember one of the spiritual fruits that God produced God produces spiritual fruit in his people? We had a list of four things. Raise your hand if you remember even one of them. Anybody remember? Think about it like, oh, what were those four types? Even if you don't remember the exact wording, we need to get this then. What is the spiritual fruit that's supposed to be developed? These people started bearing grain. It became obvious they were wheat. Somebody help me out. What is a spiritual fruit that Christians, we're going to get Wednesday night-ish here, all right? It's going to get informal. Somebody help me out. What is spiritual fruit that true Christians should start developing and seeing in their life as time goes by? Making disciples. Sacrifice of praise. What was it? Internal character of the Holy Spirit and an external righteous life. More godly life. Not perfect. These are the things. So you guys got to... that person they just love the lord it's like they're always talking about the lord and that person they're they're like changing love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness and faith faithfulness and temperance just seems to be exuding from and their life seems to be changing even unsaved family members are saying what in the world's happened to this person and now they're wanting to tell other people about jesus they're wanting to know how to share their faith they're like okay yeah that's what you would expect if you never see those things what makes you think that you're actually wheat and not just tares so notice verse 28 quickly. He said, an enemy's done this. Servant said to him, it's okay. Now watch, here's the idea. Now that we can tell there's a difference, you want us just to go out and start plucking up the weeds. And he says, no. Hear what Barclay writes. Why not? Why don't you want us just to go out? No. Everybody, this is important. Barclay writes, the roots of the wheat... And the tares were so intertwined that the tares could not be pulled up and weeded out without tearing the wheat out. So the Lord's like, no. Ryle, I'm coupling this. Ryle writes the following again. I'm borrowing, I don't know that I have any more quotes after this. Maybe one more. I forget. Watch what Ryle writes. Everybody with me? Hey, we got 171 I'm pretty sure I know who they're not let's let's go and come out somebody may be sitting here this morning like I got one here I found one okay don't do that so what do we do Ryle writes this is key if we are extreme in our efforts to obtain purity hey there, they can keep coming they don't need to be on the roll. I'm like 90% sure this person's not a true Christian. Ryle says, if we are extreme in our efforts to obtain purity, we do more harm than good. Later on, he says, those who care not what happens to the wheat, provided they can root up the tares. They've got to get these weeds out. He says, those who care not what happens to the wheat, provided they can t- root up the tares, show little of the mind of Christ. We've got to get them out. The purest. So I think two things that Christ is trying to say to us in verse 29 is, no, don't go ripping out who you think. Let's wait and leave that to the reapers. I know you guys mean well. You're not quite equipped. You'll damage wheat that is so connected. Too much disruption and turmoil. You could end, end up just damaging true wheat. Or worse, You may unknowingly pull up immature, currently not yet fully fruitful, but true wheat. We can't have that. You think you know what you're doing, but you can't just go through pulling up what you think. I don't want you hurting the true wheat. So you just need to cool your jets. Now write this down. Christians must withhold from making definitive claims. Do you just want us to go out and start pulling up? No, 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 no. I don't want you to do that. Christians must withhold from making definitive claims on individual people as being spiritual weeds. Why? In case we're wrong and we end up damaging immature wheat. We can't do it. It's not worth it. It's just not worth it. You say, Jeff, what would that look like in real life? Well, an extreme would be to abuse what I'm getting ready to talk about. Let me give you a lighter version of it. Can I give you a lighter version of it? Here's a lighter version. Well, all I know is a real Christian lady would never wear that. A real Christian couldn't wear that. How many of us are guilty of saying stupid stuff like that in our past? Stop saying it. Well, I know this a real Christian wouldn't smoke. A real Christian couldn't smoke. Should they smoke? No. Nah. I think it's abusing the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's our body. So is gluttony. Don't talk about that. (laughs) Here's one. All I know is a real Christian wouldn't drink that. Are you saying those are the rules? That's how you become a Christian? By not drinking, not smoking, not wearing those things? Or one we've heard recently. A real Christian wouldn't vote for him. A real Christian wouldn't vote for that party. Shut up! Oh, I was to, don't, don't tell Miss Martin I said that. So, <laughs> co-teacher years ago. Don't say those things. We don't have the right to set up here our rules. Couldn't, wouldn't. You have your opinion, but we're not equipped to go making these broad, general, definitive statements. That's a spiritual weed. I heard how you voted. I see how you dress. I saw what you drink. You don't know that for sure. So, Jeff. Before we hit the third point, what about church discipline? Isn't that in the book of Matthew? Oh, it's coming. So this negates that. We don't do church discipline because the Lord says you don't. So let me talk briefly about that, and we'll probably come back to it. And do, do y'all know church discipline? Do y'all know what I mean when I say the extreme, the extreme last final line? Of church discipline is if someone has to be removed from the role of the church. And like literally according to Paul's writings, like you cut off fellowship with them. He even says, no, not even to eat with them. Like, wait, what? So is the Bible contradicting itself? No. So let's be clear on the following. A local church is to perform church discipline when absolutely called for. But man, it's such a serious thing. It has to be handled very, very carefully. So what does that mean? I'm going to propose the following. I hope you would take all of what I'm going to say in the spirit of it all. And I'm, in my heart, I don't see it as a contradiction of verses 28 and 29, what the Lord is teaching in a parable. So here's what I would offer. Again, I'm reiterating. We welcome anyone to attend who is not disrupting. But as far as a local church's role, it is reserved only for true Christians. That's the only only people who need to be on it. And so, here's what I will offer. When habitual, ongoing sin clearly indicates, the best we can tell, every indication, we could say it that way, that someone is not a true Christian, then that church does need to remove that person from its membership role. It needs to be discussed even and discussed made known to the rest of the body say that again when habitual ongoing sin indicates that someone is not a true christian then that local church body is to remove that person from their role now that needs a lot of qualification for what i just said here's the first one so you will see this even in the note we are not this is important we are not talking about an unforgivable sin Some people think church discipline, and they think, they did what? Ooh, I bet they're going to get kicked out of the church. It is not about an unforgivable sin. It is about a refusal to repent after sin. That's what it's about, a refusal. During the time I've been here, Someone who used to be here contacted one of our staff members because they'd heard through the grapevine about a sin that somebody here had committed. Well, guess what? The person here had committed the sin, and it was a sin. The person no longer here contacts one of our staff members wants to know, literally, took time out of their schedule to call. One of our staff people wants to know, and they want to talk about church discipline. Because they've heard through the grapevine, and I remember standing in the hall, Mike. I don't know if you remember. Do you remember how? I, I'm a I'm, man. I want to call that person. I, man, I was getting mad, and I hope it was righteous indignation. I finally talked myself out of calling because I finally realized. Remember who you would be talking to. It isn't worth it. I feel like calling them up and saying, number one, you don't know anything about the situation. Number two, you don't know squat about church, members, uh, church discipline, apparently, and you don't know what's already going on behind the scenes. So with that in mind, it's not just like, they did a bad thing. I feel like saying, let's go put you on a lie detector, and let me ask a battery of questions, and let me ask you, and let me discover the worst thing you've ever done, and then let's get rid of you. But that was my fleshly side that wants to do that. We can't do that. So I just ended up not calling them. So it's not about an unforgivable sin. Can I say it this way? When a person continues to behave like an unbeliever by living in habitual and unrepentant sin, they have to be treated as an unbeliever. If, gonna, if it going to make it clear, like everything in your life says you're an unbeliever, then we as a church have to treat you as an unbeliever. That's what the New Testament calls for. So clarification, I'm going to give you that list. You see five things, right? Let me say first here. This is not about going and uprooting everybody we suspect. It's not that. But I also want to say that I don't think verse 29 negates church discipline. I think it qualifies church discipline. And so let's notice five things about church discipline. There could be eight or ten. I had to narrow it down. Number one, let's just fly through this list because we've got to get to the third point. Number one, church discipline is an undeniable command of the New Testament. We'll see it in Matthew 18 when we get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and other places in Paul's letter to Timothy, other places. It is an undeniable command for the church. Number two, it is to be done extremely cautiously and in a spirit of love. Paul tells the Galatians. When a brother or sister is overtaken in a fault, they didn't go looking for it, man. This thing it came on them. They're overtaken in a fault. You which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In other words, if we ever have to go down this road, we need to stop and think, How would I want to be treated if I had done what this person has done? And that'll make you like treat them differently. It's almost like if you had a broke bone and someone's resetting your broken bone, how would you want them to? I'd say, I want to do very gently, right. That's how you need to handle these situations. You're not going to see this on your list of five, but let me throw a couple of things in here. This is a process. The removal of the person is like last case scenario. It's the last resort. It's not what you want to get to. With that in mind, right, the third thing. Church discipline is to have as the goals of purity. We do want a membership. Again, lost people, we want you to come and listen. We believe there's power in the Word of God. Come you don't agree with it come that's fine don't disrupt but come but what we're looking for our goals in church discipline is purity purity in the person purity in our body also repentance that's the goal repentance okay You have confessed that you've done this. What is your heart toward it? I'm so sorry. I hate that I've done that. Help me by God's grace. Okay, great. But if you meet this, yeah, I did it, and I don't care, and I don't think anything's wrong. But the Bible clearly says here, if you keep doing this and this and this and this and this, and it's like, yeah, I'm doing that. Okay, you don't think anything's wrong with that? And we're not twisting the Scripture. I see that it says that, but I just like them, and it's financially helpful for me to live this way with them. And like... You don't, you're not going to... No, I'm not going to repent. Okay. You're acting like an unsafe person. So we have to treat... And the goal, one more, is restoration. Can I tell you what the goal is not? To shame people. And I didn't talk to the person, but I almost wonder, is that what they were wanting? Y'all going to shame this person? Nope. Because they've repented behind the scenes. It never had to come before the church. Number four. Quickly. Church discipline should produce clarity and urgency in unbelievers. Church did listen. So here's the idea. What if the person really is lost? Guys, this is a, a this is a very powerful claim. This is a very serious charge. Church discipline is not, this is important, it is not done by a single pastor. It's done by a whole church. A whole church realizes like what's been going on there was that and then it went they and then even a bigger and all along there's just been a what are we to conclude if a whole church that is following the Lord concludes that Jeff Bartlett is acting like an unsaved person then that ought to make and they kicked me out that ought to make me stop and think like wait a minute am I saved It should have some clarity to an unsaved person. You know why you're acting like an unsaved person? Because apparently you're an unsaved person. Am I I an unsaved person? That should have some clarity, some urgency. I need to deal with this. What's going on? God's people have just voted me out. But equally as important as all the rest is the last one. Church discipline can never remove anyone's genuine salvation. Kicked them off the roll. Okay. If you're truly saved, you didn't lose your salvation. In fact, we go back and study the reformers and... Some of them were in godless churches, heretical churches, and when they started discovering and preaching the truth, the heretical churches threatened them with excommunication, and their answer was, great, it would be an honor to be excommunicated by you, because I'm on the right. But if it's God's people doing that, that's a fearful thing. But it can never, it's not not God's people saying, you are not a Christian, it's just them saying, you're not acting like a Christian, you're giving no evidence which should cause a check in the spirit. Number three, we've got to hurry. Christ assures of a spiritual harvest. Christ assures of a spiritual harvest. Lest anyone think, so, okay, hang on, Jeff. All right, these workers want to go out and start reaping, uh, pulling up the the weeds, and the Lord says, no, don't do it. So I guess they're getting by with it. They're just getting by with faking it. Uh, No, they're not getting by with anything. The Lord assures there will be a spiritual harvest. Would you look with me at verse 39? Can we just read it one more time? Verse 39 to 42. The enemy sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, the reapers are angels. Here's what's going to happen just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The sun. notice, at the end of the age. It's going to keep being that way in the end of the age. I started today's message by saying there's a dynamic that is from the time of Christ until the end of the age. You should have already picked up. The main point of this parable is they're among us. They're among us at the plant. They're among us on the highways. They're among us in school. They're among us in the church house. Verse 39, verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's what this tells me. This is important. This tells me very clearly spiritual weeds will be among us until the end of the age. Spiritual weeds will be. Some people have a theology that says the church is going to do such a good job of evangelizing the world. Eventually, we're going to win. We're not there yet. We've got a long way to go. We're going to win the world over, and we are going to usher in the millennial kingdom. No, we are not. The millennial kingdom comes after the tribulation period, which begins with a rapture of Christ, followed by a second coming of Christ, which puts down the rebellion there at, the, at, at Armageddon. And then, and then I think we start fresh and new and pure, but guys, even by the end of the millennial kingdom, there's going to be new people being born humans, and not all of them are going to have love and adoration for the Lord, so that when Satan is eventually let out of the pit after a thousand years, there's going to be some people in a final rebellion. And so all the way to the end, they're going to be among us. You say, okay, Jeff, what does that mean? I'm going to give you two things. Number one, you're never going to find a perfect church, so stop looking for one. You're not going to find it. Give some grace. Give some grace. Secondly, I would say to a scoffer, a random I don't know that a scoffer would be here this morning. And so I look to our cameras and I would say, if by chance a scoffer falls upon this, and here's what you say. I don't want anything to do with the church because the church has hypocrites. To that I would answer, you're absolutely right. The church has hypocrites. You know what those are? People who are pretending to be Christians who aren't Christians. Furthermore, I would add that the church also has immature and imperfect saints. Who are you talking about, Jeff? I'm talking about Jeff. And those are two different things. Hypocrites in the church and immature, not fully yet productive, very imperfect saints, those are two different things. So, yeah, we have our share of hypocrites. We surely do. You're not going to find a perfect church. But I'll also say this. If that's your excuse to have nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ, it will not hold up on the day of judgment at the great white throne judgment. You'll be sorry for having nothing to do with the church. Why is this? Why is this going on? Watch. Because the point of the parable is this: the children of God and the children of the devil literally live mingled side by side until the end of the age, and yet the point is this: write it down: there is coming a day of spiritual harvest when all people will be gathered literally by the angels like i don't know how they, I don't know if they're just going to grab and like start literally bundling us together. all people will be gathered and put into two groups, and can I say Only two groups, and those two groups of people will experience extremely different eternities, very different eternities made clear in verses 42 and 43. So, having already read verses 39 to 42, I want to make another point and then we'll hit verse 43 very quickly. So, Jeff, hang on. Verse 40 just the weeds will gather and burn, it'll be at the end of the age. So the Son of Man is going to send his angels, and then they'll gather them, all these people that cause sin, all these stumbling blocks, all those who break the law, and they'll be thrown, and it'll be at the end. Watch, if you comfort yourself by reading that and think, so apparently all of the lawbreakers, the children of the devil who have died from now till the past, they must be in some kind of soul sleep. They must be in some kind of limbo awaiting it's going to be bad, but at least it's not. they're not there yet. No, don't fool yourselves, guys. Luke chapter 16, Jesus says the rich man in Luke 16 is already in hell. Revelation chapter 20 verse number 13 says when it's time for the great white throne judgment, listen, death and Hades, hell, has to give up the dead that are already in them. So the idea here is not that it's just later on down the road spiritual harvest is coming. The idea is the harvesting of unbelievers is continuous but yet incomplete until the end of the millennial kingdom when God puts down the final rebellion at the end of the millennial kingdom. At that time, all of the unbelievers will be gathered and they'll be judged literally individually, time is no more, individually one by one at the great white throne judgment before they are cast into the lake of fire by these angels. Your next to the last note comes from verses 40 to 42. Write it. Just as weeds. He's using a farmer. This farmer gathers up and burns the weeds. Just in the same way the Lord says all breakers of God's laws, all those who are stumbling block and causes of sin, they will be gathered and burned. At the casting of the angels who are the reapers. And what I just read, and I think how Jesus taught it, was in this occasion, you say, Jeff, this sounds very matter-of-fact of of a proclamation. Guys, other than the reading of the text, what I'm about to say I think is the most important part. What I'm about to say is the most important part. This matter-of-fact proclamation should serve us. This this is what's going to happen. Just like the farmer burns the weeds. Literally, the Lord is going to send out the angels. They're going to gather all those who are the children of the devil, the people who are not God's people, and they will be judged, and then they will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. Death and hell currently, those, those that have died are currently in hell. They'll get out of hell, but they'll ultimately go into a worse place because death and hell is cast into the lake of fire, which apparently is somehow even worse than hell itself. It is eternal, whereas hell is temporary leading up to that. This matter-of-fact proclamation should lead all of us, all of us, to have a fearful warning to check ourselves, you and me. Am I true wheat? You say, Jeff, I'm faithful here. I praise the Lord for that. You say, Oh, Jeff, I'm one of those 171. I'm one of those 171. Praise the Lord, we're thankful for that. Here's the questions. Here's the most important thing. Have you, you, individually, done these four things? Have you, and remember, like, be honest. Have you consciously confessed your sins to God? Have you consciously heard and trusted the promises of God about salvation? Watch, have you consciously Called on the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior and received him as your Lord. Have you consciously received his forgiveness? You say, how do I do that? What do I do? You don't move a muscle. Have you consciously confessed? Consciously trusted? Have you consciously called on him as your Lord and Savior? Have you consciously received the forgiveness of the Lord? If you haven't, this is a fearful text. And then lastly, verse 43: "Then the righteous will shine like the sun, this other will be thrown in the fiery furnace, where's weeping and gnashing of teeth. The righteous will shine like the sun." So we have a problem. Theologically, I want your help. All mankind are born sinners. Is that correct? All of us are born sinners. All of us, because we're born sinners, we all commit acts of sin. So help me. That means spiritually we are all born as what word in our title to the message? We're all born spiritual weeds. Well, wait a minute. What about these righteous that are going, we're all born weeds. So what happened? When you trust Christ, several things happen. Literally, God remakes you You're a whole new creation. He replants you into his church all around the world. But when you put your faith and trust in Christ and his death on the cross, two things happen. And they're so linked, but I want to divide them. Trusting his death on the cross washes away all your sins, but it also allows him to give you his righteousness. And so these people are called righteous not because they're better than the other people they're called righteous because they have been given as a gift the righteousness of God that now makes them fit for heaven and these people are fit for heaven they're as righteous as Christ is if Christ is allowed to go to heaven these people are allowed to go to heaven and they will shine like the Sun in the kingdom the Bible says that God is light the Bible says Jesus is the light of the world Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus and he encountered the glorified, risen Lord Jesus Christ. He was so bright that to Saul, who we call Paul the apostle, Jesus was brighter brighter than the noonday sun. You say, how bright and how glorious is the Lord Jesus Christ? How glorious is God the Father? He is so bright and glorious that when we live with him, even his reflection on us and his light in us will cause us to be as bright as the sun. He's brighter than the noonday sun. We are going to light. The new, the new heaven, the new earth, the, the new Jerusalem, it has no sun. It's lit by God. But guys, we're given glorified bodies That On this earth that die and are sown in dishonor, but they're raised in glory. Your eternal body is going to have a glory of its own, and you're going to reflect the glory of God. You will shine like the sun through eternity. Do you see the differences? Here's a group burning in fire. They tell us the worst kind of pain, fire. These are people mourning and weeping, gnashing of teeth, in anguish, torment, despair. There's no hope. Self-loathing. And over here is these people, basking in the glory of God. I'm finishing here. I promise we're done. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Flip over there. We're going to read four verses. I want you to notice Revelation 21. It plays off verse 43. The key is to see the difference of the two. There will be a spiritual harvest. Revelation 21, here's what the Bible says. John the Revelator has shown a vision of the future. This will happen. He's already seen it as if it has already happened. It is so sure. Revelation 21 verse 1. If you have your Bible open, you'll notice above it the judgment before the great white throne has just happened. Now we're moving forward in time. Verse 20, Chapter 21 verse 1. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. There'll be no more sea. The final heaven and earth, that earth has no sea on it. Right now our, our planet's dominated by the sea. And he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. So we got a new heaven, a new earth. A lot of people debate about that. Uh, I've never studied it out fully. A lot of folks think it is just this version of the planet redone to make it renewed. I believe, because of the previous chapter... Earth and heaven fled away. There is that. I believe it's a completely new heaven, new earth, totally remade. That's my opinion. Because I think, you say, Jeff, what about other passages? Why am I doing? I'm spending too much time. That is, the other is, I think, the thousand-year reign where the curse is lifted, right? But then, after the thousand-year reign, we have the judgment, the great white throne judgment. And then this, I think everything's brand new. Verse number two, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. You ought to read this with uh, interest. You ought, to, you, ought to, you ought to read this. You say, Jeff, it's, it's 16 after. I know. Do you know if you're a Christian, this like literally is saying what's going to happen to you, you? You ought to be like, well, wait a way, I might want to pay attention here. He said, I saw the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorn, adorned for her husband. Now, here comes verse 3 and 4. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, so that's our God talking. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with Man, I underlined six words in verses 3 and 4. Three of them are the word with. Say so why? Watch. With is life. Separation is death. Away is death. With is life. Verse 3, this is real life, abundant life. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. We're going to make a big deal about the things that are not in heaven. Don't get me wrong. The best thing about heaven is God. It's not the things that are not there. As great as they are, the best thing is God is there. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. That is life. Verse 4, he will wipe away, uh uh-oh, some things are away. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death that's another word death is separation and death shall be no more so these people are with God they're not with tears and they're not with death death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning you guys ought to really read this list there will be no mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away something died and something lives we live with Christ. Death is separated and dies from us. Where do you want to spend eternity? There's a group. Lit- it'll be one of these two. I'm t- everybody in here, there's not a third option. You will be in one of these two. You will either be weeping, moaning, crying, in pain and anguish, for eter- weeping for eternity, or you'll be experiencing the glory of God without these other things for eternity. So here's my close. Jesus says in verse 24 of Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven can be compared. Right at the outset of the church, he warns his followers, expect unbelievers to be among you pretending to be one of you. That tells me two things. Don't be surprised and don't be one of them. Don't be surprised when unbelievers are among us and don't be one of them because the consequences are severe and eternal. Here's all I know. I believe the text and I have no doubt that Satan sins and plants unbelievers among us, but he doesn't know the future. I want grace for you. This is me. I want grace for you to be the kind of church that Satan regrets sending weeds to. Because when they come here, they get saved. You say, "Jeff, do you think we're all saved?" We're not. Heads bowed just for a moment. Heads bowed just for a moment. Would you close your eyes? Based on today's text and its point, I have every reason to believe Graceview has spiritual weeds. We have them. Guys, I'm sorry. You ought to listen. Graceview has weeds. We have people among us who are faking. We have some among us. They may not even know they are faking. But they don't have real faith. Could I implore you this morning, whether you're watching online or here in person, please slow down. Get intentional, consciously. Be sure you are not one of the spiritual weeds. Be sure you're not a child of the devil that Satan has allowed and even planted here to be among us. You say, but Jeff, I, I I attend. I'm on the roll. Guys, listen, the point is you can fool me. You can fool us. You will not fool God. He knows you will not fool the Lord Jesus. You will not fool the angels who serve as reapers. Be sure. Be sure that you are wheat say Jeff I'm sure why do you believe that you're not a spiritual weed? why do you believe you are true wheat why literally say it in your head say the reasons in your head why do you think you're a true child of the kingdom are you saying it say it in your head I know I am not a spiritual wheat. I know I'm true wheat because what are you saying in your head? Because now I need to ask you what you just said. If you'd be like, I didn't say anything. Give me a minute. No, come on. If you're true wheat, you don't need a minute. I have to ask you this: Is what you said in your head a Bible reason or a feeling that you have? Let me go further. If you say you're true wheat. When did you become that? We're born weeds. When did you become wheat? And if you're thinking years and years ago, I got to ask you, what fruit is in your life? Like name the fruit. It's not bragging, it is taking inventory. What spiritual fruit can you point to? Has there been a change in your internal person? Has there been a change in your behavior? Do you have love for God that cannot be contained? You praise Him in private. You praise Him in public. Do you literally have a burden for souls? Are you investing in people's lives? Are you creating converts as the Lord is using you? Is that being true of your life? Do you have fruit? Be sure. This is is not playing a game. This is too serious. Verses 39 to 42 are very fearful to me. And I can't see physically. So I've got to ask us. If you couldn't answer a while ago, why don't you right now do those four things that I mentioned earlier? If we believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, we'll be saved. For with the heart, man believes Unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John chapter 1 promises, But as many as received him... To them gave he the power, the authority to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So I've got to ask you, if you're having any doubt, why don't you right now bring God into your awareness? Put me... Just as a prompter in the background and bring God to the foreground and talk to Him. And right now, confess your sins consciously. God, I consciously confess that I am a sinner. I am a lawbreaker. Why don't you consciously put your trust in the promises that I just told you from the Bible? If you'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Talk to the Father and let him know, I am trusting your, I believe your word of God. In your heart, why don't you consciously call on Jesus as Lord. Just tell him, talk to the Lord Jesus, not me. Lord Jesus, you are the Lord and I receive you as my Lord right now. Why don't you, right now, because God can't lie. Just say, God, I don't know why you offer forgiveness of all my sins. But at, talk to him and do it full faith. God, at this moment, at this moment, I receive your forgiveness. I receive eternal life. I trust Christ. Father Lord as we close in prayer this morning would you use that maybe down the road somebody will watch that online I don't know maybe somebody this morning is here Lord we're praying that you will save souls Lord if you have done that would you give that person or those people courage to let us know. Lord, let them begin with just thanksgiving. So much faith that they thank you for what you've done. But Lord, would you give them so much courage that, that they would let us, as their new brothers and sisters in the family of God, let us know what they have did and not let them stay hidden and secret. Give them boldness and courage. And then, Father, I close with this. Lord, would you let every Christian here have purity? hatred of our sins Lord never let us get to a point never let me never let any of these get to a point those of us who are true Christians where other brothers and sisters in Christ would question whether or not we're legitimate so Lord if any sin needs to be repented of in our midst this morning may we hate it right now may we see it from your Lord help us see it from your perspective may we turn from our sin fresh not to get re-saved But, Lord, to be purified is one of the things you want us to do when we come together. Let us get up from these seats in seconds from now, clean, turning from that. Lord, that sin has been dominating somebody all week. Let them right now turn from that and hate it and repent and give evidence that they're real. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Love you guys. I hope you'll have a great Thanksgiving week.